in today's episode, I'll be giving you a peek into the conversation about Christian music that was the most insightful conversation I have had about Christian music in my life. So don't miss out on this one. There's a war in our churches between modern and traditional music. But the question is this, can we creatively integrate the best of both worlds to unify the body of Christ and glorify the Lord more fully? Join us on this podcast as Christians from various stands share their voice and come together to develop new creative arrangements and compositions that will help us to worship the Lord more fully and to empower evangelism. I'm Magnus Gautistad and welcome to SDG Music Radio. Greetings and uh, wake up. Uh, I am so grateful to be here. Uh, We are now uh, launching this uh, new podcast, uh, SDG Music Radio, where we want to uh, to find how to worship God more fully, uh, how the the various richness of creativity we have in the larger body um, of Christ and through the traditions, how we can worship more holistically, what can we learn, and and uh, in in a postmodern time where you know. It looks so flat for many people, you know, it's so dry for many people. Might it be that 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 beauty and creativity and the artist really can have a great uh, saying and, and should be more appreciated uh, in the churches? Uh, if, if so, how would that go about? And if so, maybe this can also help us in our evangelism to connect more in a, in a less... Uh, um, you know, in a more effective way of opening up their heart with some of the arts uh, and beauty and, and things like that. Uh, but I got with me a very interesting guest here today who has tremendous experience within music, uh, within, you know, philosophy, theology, and he has many interesting thoughts. And I cannot wait to bring your perspective here today. So, uh, so Ian, how are you doing? I'm doing very well. Thanks for having me today, Manus. And let's just uh, give you an, an introduction here, as we like to do. So he's currently an assistant professor at uh, music at Calvary University, Kansas City, Missouri. So even uh, Ian Evans Guthrie has received uh, the Mile High Freedom Band's 2021 commission, a nomination for a 2020 award from the American Academy of Arts and Letters, and other accolades for his compositions. Many of his uh, works have been performed publicly around the world on four continents and many states and countries. He has studied composition with Ellen Taffy Swilich, Stephen Montague, Mark Wingate, another, and piano with John Owings, Gloria Lynn, Heidi Louise Williams, and Renato. Fabro. He is currently an assistant professor at music at Calvary University, and I'm so glad that you're here today. And I, I wanted to just kick off the conversation here now with something that is very challenging, and we need that challenge. What type of music gives glory to God, and what doesn't? Oh, that is a challenging question. And I think we always look for an answer in terms of style but we sometimes forget the historical and cultural context that comes with that. Um, and I personally would say, I love Palestrina, but that in of itself doesn't necessarily give glory to God because that's just one sound and it doesn't specify what is he doing biblically. Hmm. Now, I will say what's very interesting about Palestrina, the fact that he will set the lamentations and many of the songs and many other texts from the Mass makes his biblical references much larger than what we even have in the whole entire opus of uh, contemporary Christian music. And I think that's really the most important thing to think about. Are we representing the entirety of the Bible? Hmm. But if I may take a little bit of a historical diversion, um, people are probably wondering, what about chant or is music that important at all? Because if we look at the church fathers, we might say that they didn't find music that important, or that they dismissed music altogether. There are scholarly books on this. Hmm. That seems like it would be a def- 
a defeat to music being important in the church. But what's very important to remember, first of all, in the Hellenistic and post-Hellenistic culture, music meant rhythm, instruments, and voice. And when you look at the writings of Plato, his definition of music has to have instruments, it has to have rhythm, and it has to have a vocalist. And in the time of the early church, and in the time of the Greek and Roman empires, usually where you'd find music of that sort was in public places, such as the marketplace, or in the theater, or at religious festivals. Now, pagan religious festivals, the church didn't want people partaking in those. The church probably couldn't hand, uh, help people because they had to go to the market. But as far as the theater, that was also a place known for sinful activities. So in their minds, they're trying to pr prevent people from hearing in church what they, what they would associate with those sinful activities. Hmm. It's similar to, uh, what, at least in the United States, a generation or so ago, rock and roll was, was not wanted in many churches because people attributed that to rebellion hmm. and unethical activities. But we see after a generation of contemporary Christian music, that is not as well thought of in churchgoers. So that argument can be put to rest. But it is important to understand these arguments come out of, one, a desire to eliminate that, that worldly influence from people inside the church. And it also has... A different definition of music behind it. What they called music back then is more restricted than what we would call music today. Um, one interest, one final thing I can say just on that is I think it's important equally to realize that if it's the entirety of the Bible that comes to glorify God, then we have many styles that are failing to represent the entirety of Scripture. I grew up in a more low church evangelical kind of setting where the worship songs were almost always about a hundred and I don't know, 110 to 140 beats per minute. And that's the kind of music that you listen to when you really want to get a good workout and get yourself in a better mood. Hmm. And so that, you know, that, that puts a, an interpretation of the text right there. And then I went to a church that was all hymns, which is very much the opposite, where you're thinking more in the platonic sense of music should calm the soul rather than excite it. But in both cases, one similarity is you rarely have things referring to some of the penitential or judicial parts of the Bible. Most of it is Hallel psalm-based or very personal eye language. Um, that's very different than the Tedeum, where it's all about we and believe you to be the Lord. And so we we lose a lot of that in a lot of the church settings we have today. And really, it seems only the churches that really stick to a traditional liturgy have even a sliver of that left. And so regardless of the style, I think the most important thing that would glorify God is, are we singing and using the gift of singing to help with memory and to create community through music? Are we using that tool to to teach ourselves the entirety of the Bible, or are we only using it to suit our own purposes? That's the that, that's what will bring glory to God. If it's about Him and His Word, it brings God glory. Wow, that was that was amazing. Uh, I I don't have anything to add to that. That was I I just want that you know if I add anything now, I will only take away. I'll I'll just let that dwell a little bit. That was that was really good, brother. Okay, next Thank one. You. For a leader of music in churches, what is your main advice? Well, first of all, I think we need to think about what is a leader. Uh, we often think of a leader as a minister, or in the United States, we might call him a president or some sort of governing official. But uh, to to be a leader, we should look to Jesus and. Um, some people will say, well, a leader needs to be popular with everyone, and uh, Jesus wasn't that way. Or a leader needs to cater to what everyone does, and uh, Jesus wasn't that way either. Too often we side one to the other, and in the church, most music ministers end up to the latter, where they try to make everyone happy. And 
sometimes the music minister doesn't have a choice. And unfortunately, some of the books that are really great that have been written on this are from about 30 years ago. But there's some great literature out there, particularly by some of the, the Lutherans that talk about how to deal with this. But the first piece of advice I would say is to be a leader, follow Jesus, meet people where they are, but bring them where they need to be. Hmm. And so if the people can only take a certain style and that they, they, they're only used to certain lyrics, make sure to use that as your starting point. Develop a relationship. And as if we talk about things in evangelism and the like, with, um, by extension, it, we know that people can be very offended if we just lay down what is true and that's all that matters. We need to do things in truth and love. So the first piece of advice I would make is to be relational. Um, and be relational with the pastor as well. Let the pastor know how important it is, or depending on the church, it might be her uh, her leadership, your, their leadership and their influence on the congregation is paramount to making the music successful. Another thing I, I would say on that, though, is to really look for music and be able to write music that represents the entirety of scripture as we've talked about. Look for holes in the style you've talked you've been talking about. Uh, chant sometimes has so many non-biblical texts, but that they can still be useful. So if you're at a, ch- a church that has a lot of chanting, make sure to come up with texts that aren't just traditional because they are, but make sure you cover the texts and the messages you want to. Contemporary Christian music tends to be the on an opposite side of the spectrum that really focuses on grace and the self. So look to write songs that are more focused directly to God as the second person and focused on the emotional um, impact you want to have. Not all music can be fast food and bring it, bringing us an emotional high because when we reach those troublesome times as a community, we want to know how to deal with it. And so it's paramount that we have songs that deal with suffering and loss, and we can sing that as a community because the church isn't just me and God. The church is also the, the other part of the great commandment is love one another. So that so I would say the church musician has three things: be relational, be looking for those songs, and also I it's kind of from both of those, be realistic. You might add um, find another find another job just for safety's sake, but. That those are really the three things, and the majority of that is based on relationship with others and an awareness of scripture and what the songs are representing. That's the advice I give to my students here in the music philosophy and leadership class, and that's what I would give to any musician because it's certainly not an easy role, but with the help of the congregation and the pastor, um, it can create uh, a quality that I don't think you can get otherwise. Uh, Community is what will build your choirs. Community and a faith in the music you're doing is what will build the quality of music you have at your church. Hmm. Well, amen to that. It's a very unifying message, I think. Uh, I don't Mm -hmm. think we could... There's any way that could unify us more than taking... Going to the Bible, which... It's an objective standard outside ourselves, and then st- have it start from there, you know. And also, if it's a conversation from the uh, with the pastor or the priest and the uh, another music director or something like that, that that is a a language both can can speak and and uh, go go from. And yes, you come back to here also again, which I keep hearing many places uh, about that the worship should be more holistic because of the holistic God we have. And for all the different attributes we see of him in the Bible and that throughout the Psalms, he is being worshiped in many ways, everything from the Lord of hosts to a very personal uh, God um, in times of trouble. There's a lot of lament there. And so it's, I th- there is, there's probably a bit of um, uh, ignorance sometimes uh or an, or an irony when for churches that are very very much sola scriptura with with the bible and and the word um that then it's 
it's a bit it's a bit un, unbiblical the reflection we can see in some of the uh, worship music so so there seems to be a gap there and artists who have taken time to not only uh, develop themselves musically to be able to listen and have an intuitive sense about this but also to actually being able to communicate and and, and bring both theology and the artist world together like you're doing now i think it's a very helpful conversation and i i hope that any who are not a musician right now can take this uh, into consideration and start having these discussions with people outside the the uh, music click uh, in the church um so um just a few thoughts and just to yeah mm-hmm. and just to add on to that a little yeah. bit not mm-hmm. so much advice for the the music ministers or the perspective ones mm-hmm. but just talking about that holistic scripture it's quite sad that the while the church laments that sometimes they're following secular musical traditions sometimes what other choice does the church have when the music written by christian musicians is increasingly done in concert halls and not in the church hmm. we, uh, we we need that community we need that skill and there could be uh there could be a meeting point between composer and congregation but right now i think it's um, problematic that the music that is most separate from secular genres right now that seems least popular is predominantly done in concert halls and so that is that is something that i think is part of that disconnect i think the the ignorance of that the ignorance of the the, the ignorance that the church fathers before the Reformation era, had some had some different interpretations in different contexts than, say, Zwingli or Luther. Uh, Zwingli, uh, you know, didn't want music in his churches at all, but that meant something very different in the 1500s than it did in the 300s. Hmm. So, just to a- add on to what you are saying, I think sometimes that ignorance is that the sint- semantics of what the church fathers are saying, as well as what's happening with religious music outside the church is uh, is part of the cause for this. Hmm. That's a very interesting point. Uh, I got inspired to ask you a question that's been a lot of my mind, if you don't may, just off mm-hmm. the cuff here. But mm-hmm. through my studies and prayers, I, I, I'm leaning toward a conclusion that when so much of the arts was downplayed in the Reformation because of various types of misuse of it. Um, And there might have been a place, you know, of course, parts of it was too radical and was condemned by big parts of the church, as we know. Um, They didn't, Luther didn't mean to remove so much beauty. Calvin didn't really write on it either. And it was more other movements, Puritan movements. and, and, And different swingly like you mentioned ironically him being a, a musician um i'm thinking it was so if i'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt i'm looking at abraham and isaac and he just giving the most precious sacrifice he can give is like i love music and now i'm just gonna uh, sacrifice the this the, the best thing i have but uh but but uh, uh, um to be serious here do you think that some of these reformers that we trust now that has affected how we we do church, that they might have thought we need to break a bit radically with some of these things now to get this sorted out. But could it, is it possible that they didn't mean that for forever, the rest of church history, we have to have it like that? Is it possible that the evangelical and Protestant churches where the lack of uh, beauty and uh, artistic excellence is maybe the greatest, um, is it possible that we now have an opportunity to revive a lot of that again because now people can read, because people are now, we have the Bible in many languages, because there is less danger now of having beauty and these type of things. There's less danger of idolatry when, when people uh, understand proper uh, theology and truth and all of these things. Uh, what do you think? H- have we gone a bit astray of something that's very, very valuable and and, and made it into sort of a norm what they did in the Reformation. What do you think there? I I, th- I think you have a that's a great question. Uh, we have to remember that 
one thing that they were rebelling against is the lack of congregational participation. In the case of Luther, you you see that he wants music to be next to theology, and he says that in various ways. He he, and thankfully, Lutherans have never, as far as I know, worshipped music above God. But you see something very different in Lutheran trends. Uh, but his whole goal is to get the congregation involved. I think that was Zwingli's goal a lot, from what I understand, as well as Calvin's. But they all had different views on what the congregation should be participating in. The Catholic Church had also had their own Reformation. And while they said little about music, they mentioned that it shouldn't be abusive. It shouldn't be overly complex. And we see with Palestrina, he and others, they take the status quo music, some of the simpler Renaissance music, and try to be very articulate with the texts. And so they're trying to make things clearer, which was still a step in the right direction. The reformers were acting against something very radical, if you know what some of the late medieval music was. It was very chromatic and very much something you have to learn even today. You can't just sing along with it. So it sort of isolated the congregation. So I think that when we understand that the goal is to reunite the congregation in music, then yes, we definitely have lost something because we're totally missing the point of the music. It's something that is powerful when performed, of course, but when we apply it to ourselves, we learn things in a whole new way. And we're missing that when we see music as either a check in the box that we start, it's good to start things with music, or it's good to start singing for ourselves or with others, but seeing it as a mode of teaching when when well done musically, we get a, both an emotional context and the biblical teaching as a preface to the sermon. So it doesn't become a just another part of liturgy or another part of service, but it becomes another mode of teaching. So we have lost a lot, I think. And part of it is simply by a misunderstanding of, again, the cultural context for against what the reformers reacted. Hmm. Well, that's a very interesting emphasis uh, that will definitely take more into uh, to consideration there. So, again, a very unifying message. Uh, I think what many pastors, priests, you know, theologians are very they 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 have a lot of emphasis that on the word, um, on teaching, right? Because of discipleship and, and the emphasis Jesus also and 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 the saints put on that. Uh, so um, I think it's a very unifying message, and uh, it will give fruit when we can have more discussions like that. And that anyone, one of our listeners right now listening to this. Uh, how you can start to have these discussions and just ask questions to each other and get more aware of these things, so we make sure that we we understand the, like you say, the historic and cultural context of these questions, and and can learn from from history as well. Um, I want to go to the next question here um, that I had in mind, and that is, what difference in music, you know, for evangelism and music for worship. And I know that some churches are seeker-friendly and kind of have this evangel evangelical music in the church, but most churches are not like that in that to that extent or you know that you have many like that, but I would say not mo most don't have that like that. Um so as soon as we take the music outside the church is is there more room uh, than what we have during, a, for example, a, a, either a church service or just other times we're sitting in in the in the church building, in the uh, in the congregation. What's your thoughts on that? My initial reaction is, I think that evangelism. Sometimes we think it's about what we say about the scriptures. And what and it's all on us kind of thing. That's what I was how I was raised anyway. And there's certainly something to it. It forces you to think about I have a job to witness to unbelievers. What I think is often misunderstood is that the initiation for a relationship with someone outside the church 
is usually not made through a wow impact of music or something else, or wow, his theology is powerful. I think the more important thing to think about is not so much what is music for evangelism, but what, how can musicians be evangelistic with their friends? Hmm. I've had most of my conversations with people have not been on uh, my sacred music, which I just wrote one of my first sacred pieces, frankly, so I don't have a lot of it. But most of the conversations in my experience start from you're a musician, I'm a musician. We have a we can have a mutual friendship. Uh, I had roommates, for example, who came from uh I had a roommate once who came from uh Europe. Actually, I've had some several roommates as I've traveled around the world to festivals from Europe. But uh then uh they'll see me reading the Bible and then the, then once they see that, they have questions about what I believe and who I am. Mm. Uh, so the music, I think, isn't necessarily needing a change to be evangelistic versus worshipful. What needs to change is how do we see ourselves as musicians and evangelists? How do we show our faith to people who have come to trust us as musicians and friends and the like? So I I, I would I would put it as it's not so much the musical style or the lyrics that need to change. I don't think those actually should change. I think Christian music should stand on its own footing. What needs to change is how important we see our roles as musicians, because we fill a role that ministers cannot. We fill a role that business people cannot. Um, we imagine if we were commanded to talk to people in. A, a foreign society uh we're, we're evangelizing and we're trying to tell them how to uh take care of uh, the agriculture well at least for me as a musician that would freak me out because i don't know the first thing about agriculture all i know is they need jesus but someone who knows at least a little bit about farming more than me would be better than i am same thing with musicians a musician's going to perceive the testimony of another musician very differently than they are from someone who's a Christian. They need Jesus either way, but a musician has a much better inlet to those people's lives. So the focus needs to be more on our role in relationships rather than changing our music to fit those outside. Because when we see in the Bible, the majority of evangelism that happens, uh, we, we have Paul going into the marketplaces to talk to people. When he wants to talk in synagogues, they're like he's talking to people who are religious in the precursor to Christianity, but he goes into the marketplaces. There's there's very few instances, maybe Cornelius bringing Peter into his house, where we actually see anything where a Christian's inviting non-Christians into the church. We see a lot more of that, that evangelism happening outside the church. And mm. so for that reason, I think the sacred music is for the church, but the sacred heart is and evangelism is for outside. Mm. Uh, that is Does a that very, make sense. Yeah, that that makes that makes totally sense, and uh, that is something that everybody can apply. And um, I I've seen, especially in my experiences in more like in more low church Baptist church. Uh, so now, um, now I'm, you know, I, I've been in different churches. I I came to Christ about you know my mid twenties, about ten years ago, and uh, eleven years ago now, and. And I, I went to many different churches. I, I've been like, I had so many different experiences, starting in a Lutheran church, and then I was a Mormon, and then I was in the Freemason, and then I moved to Spain and was in the Hebrew roots movement and didn't eat pork and kept the Shabbat and got baptized in the Jordan River. And then I came to a Baptist church, and then I came to the Presbyterian church. So for me, it's been a, a long journey, um, a long journey to find that holistic way of worshiping God where uh, both the goodness of God and the truth of God and the beauty of God is uh, is properly connected. Um, and even though I'm not uh, Catholic, I have a lot of respect for a lot of uh, the good things that the Catholic Church uh, is doing. And one is Hans uh, von Urbaltasar when he's talking about that if you remove beauty, uh, you will also take 
with with you some of the truth and some of the goodness in some sort of mysterious vengeance he says and i'm going to be writing a thesis on that for my i, I do a bachelor in in leadership and theology on beauty i'm going to do a thesis on that if, if it's that is that true when we remove beauty is there something about the truth that is not so true anymore and is it something about the way we do things when we don't think do things beautifully that is not as good anymore. So that the type of three transcendence together. And the reason why I'm mentioning this, Ian, is that this is an artist here talking, right? I'm I'm very concerned about the beauty of God because as an artist, that is I, I a lot of my consciousness goes around the beauty around me, right? And staying very aware and staying very conscious. You have to do that to to, to play pieces and improvise and all of these things, uh, because you have you really have to listen with intensity. And and I think many don't live so much that way. Um, so when I'm talking this type of language, if I'm then I have an ability to connect with things that is on many artists' heart, saved or not. They have a longing for that that wonder that beauty brings, right? Uh, and and um, and and when I think uh, we there's not too many churches that are so intentional about we're going to reach the artists, right? Because like you say, we might. You know, some doesn't doesn't even put out you know music as an outreach or something like that. Um, but they don't maybe encourage or empower the the artists of their important role in their communities where there is a lot of strange thoughts, you know, when people are sitting inside painting eight, eight hours a day. You get a lot of strange thoughts in the end if you don't have a Bible to check up <laughs> on yourself, uh, or especially if you have combined that with alcohol or drugs, as many artists uh, do engage in because of their uh, restless nature many has. Uh, so I think it's a time uh, where, like you're saying, artists if, see themselves uh, in their identity as evangelists and to build those relationships uh, and um, and do that through their musical ministry instead of kind of we're going to make a type of music that just say oh like like Steve Jobs he, he saw a Bach concert and and he said uh, uh, this was the greatest evidence I ever seen of God uh, so you have those things happening sometimes that there must be a god because this only comes out of spiritual music and there is something here that's just it doesn't make rational sense or uh but but like you're saying and if we look in the bible it's a lot about those those relationships and and um so i think it was a good emphasis you put there a, a, a universal principle that can be used across uh, our, our our differences um if you don't have anything specific to interfere there, I want to go over to the next question. I could say one quick thing about yeah, sure, beauty, sure. just very quickly. I like that you're bringing that up. And I think one thing that artists bring to the 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 word beauty that, and at least in the United States, isn't a word used very often, but we forget sometimes that beauty is only beauty or beauty can only really be understood, I think, fully when we know the ugliness that's around and i think art there's some art that we don't like for different reasons but one thing an art form i frankly don't like that much but some of the expressionists a hundred years ago a little bit more in germany and the like one thing that they brought to their art their goal wasn't to be pretty their goal was to show in as expressive way as possible how ugly things are and so I think that getting rid of beauty doesn't just get rid of some of the theology, but it also, it kind of neutralizes the law gospel tension we have, uh, the, the grace of God and the, the beauty of that is so much more pronounced when we know the ugliness of what's around it. And I think art uh, it, it articulates that in a way that in a whole new dimension that we cannot say with words. And so I just wanted to add that because I, hmm. I I really like that point with beauty. So I just wanted to add that on. Right. Yes. Um, I think that's that's a great point you're saying there that contrast is very important. That is why, you know, you, you see in the Bible, 
you share the bad news before the good news, so to speak, you know, you're having the repentance and having to look into the law and see yourself in the mirror and, and don't, you know, don't liking what you're seeing. And, and then you, it's just so glorious when, um, when, when the atonement of Christ and what he, he did on your behalf. And, um, I would say now, like I also do on my other podcast, beauty and the faith, I start off saying that, uh, the Western world has become, I would say, objectively increasingly ugly. And, and I think I can make that statement uh, because if we do believe in objective truth, we also need to hold on that there is something called objective uh, beauty, even though it's hard to define. My, I myself read a book on this now uh, by Jonathan King, and, and he kind of defines it as a fittingness. You know, when something just fits mm-hmm. almost like in a perfect way. Uh, that is when you have an, a sense of beauty. I think it's a great definition. I'm, I'm going to learn more about that. But the point is mm-hmm. that when society now are becoming more ugly and everyday people are having architectural uprising and art renewal center, and there's all of this discussion happening in culture, uh, both on the left, on the right, you know, with all people now, they they feel their identity you know their community all of these things are being taken away with with the beauty uh because it's coming out of balance isn't there an amazing opportunity for the church now to come in as a contrast so more clearly see just how beautiful uh, uh something is and then of course i i've been speaking with other musicians christian musicians that think we should include more of the ugliness in our music um i i think i tend to say that there is already so much emphasis on what's wrong with the world so much depression so much ugliness that i you know they know how much sucks and they know how how little uh a little hope they have for the future so i i think yeah that might have made more sense a bit earlier when some churches could have been criticized for being a bit escapist and was like so heavenly minded there are no earthly good and, and kind of wasn't relatable but i think in most cases now Many churches do have, and, and society do see a lot of ugliness, um, and and we shouldn't, you know, we should be aware of the suffering of the world. We we should be able to express the difficult and a bit ugly things of torture and murder and the sins in the Bible. All of this is great for contrast. Uh, but but like you you're, you're saying there, when you see the contrast there of of the ugly, it has a purpose because it makes the beauty shine even more and. And and I, I just want to encourage you one more time any church leader listening to not to to this, uh, any musician listening to this right now, that actually, the more ugly the world is, the less they love the world. I I, I believe then it, it's an open door to talking about the beauty of God, and they will see something they're longing so much for, and then they will understand that beauty is not contained in the objects true beauty is not contained in the objects c.s lewis says it only comes through them and so when you have an eye for beauty you will when you see the beauty you have a sense that you're connecting with something beyond that beauty and it's like a a door into the divine uh, like uh, 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 sir uh, roger scruton says Uh, but that's on another uh, conversation i wanted to go get Uh a bit back here um to Mm -hmm. unity um Mm -hmm and learning from each other. Uh, There's a lot of throwing rocks. There's a lot of polarity in the West now. And because of holiness, there there needs to be a certain limitation on complete unity with everything, of course. But how can Christians come together to make more beautiful music, both for modern and traditional churches? So... What would you say there? How can both of these styles go to the next level of having more beauty in their outreach or within their church? That's a that's a really tough question. I don't <laughs> know if I have a great answer, but I will say in the songwriting class that I teach, I always encourage my students to one explore styles that they're not necessarily familiar with, and then two to consider well, what emotion do you want people to feel? Because you can, because you can have the words. There was a, there was a song, a contemporary Christian song I heard just for the first time uh, a couple of weeks ago, and it had to do with uh, "I will remain still amid the wind and the waves." 
but the music was very agitated. So it emphasized the wind and the waves rather than the stillness. Mm. And so I always ask my students to think about what is the what is the climate, the background, the film score, so to speak, that the music is giving to your lyrics, mm. because uh, that will better communicate to your audience. And many audiences, no matter what they sing in church, watch films today, and they've heard different kinds of emotions evoked through different musics. Hmm. Um, that's still somewhat different for every person. But we first need, uh, for the musicians, uh, they, I want them to explore other styles. Hmm. For the congregations, uh, especially those who have people who have a strong opinion for one and the other, yet they're in the same building, I would say that we need to program and use songs in worship that will be a little bit different for everyone. Try to get to welcome that. Hmm. I think the number one thing, though, that brings people together, even in music they don't initially like, is a choir and ensembles. Hmm. Um, music majors know, I'm sure, a lot about playing pieces that you that they love, but also pieces that they don't like. But we learn a new appreciation for them, especially when we learn it with a teacher and a group of other people. And so I think the choir is the most natural space in a church today. Um, very few churches, if they if they have a choir, um, you know, do it that often. Um, but there are some that have choirs. Uh, of those that have choirs, very few will have orchestras or the like. So I think the choir is the most natural one. But being involved in some sort of ensemble and having that be a priority for the church brings people together. And studies have shown also that that brings people together. I think that's the best answer I could give because the only other answer, how do you bring this together is, you know, deal with it, which is not a very helpful answer. But there's a point where our opinions can't be just perfected. We have to have some, uh, have, have that agape love where the sacrifice of ourselves for someone else is what we need to be after. And through that, sometimes we find the fulfillment uh, that we're, we're seeking. But we can't let our emotions get the best of us 24-7. If we, if we have an attitude of service, hmm. I, th I think we'll, and we have a leader who's willing to represent everyone, we all get a chance. And I think we, we break down some of those initial stylistic divides. Right, right. And I think that's, that's all I can say. That's a well, really hard thing to, to solve that i think that that's sparked several points I, I don't want to emphasize and just elaborate on a few of those points yes mm -hmm. i do believe that uh both in a very traditional church or in a very modern church there can both be a sense of man-made traditions people hold fast to just because it's familiar and it's really not completely um uh, like you say agape love is not really christ-like to be that type of focused on that the reasoning comes inside of uh what you you feel so so i think that is uh, a good point uh, that will open up more discussions when you have that attitude um the other thing you're talking about is the congruency of lyrics and of the music and i think if there's one huge low hanging dangling fruit right here right now that any church should do right now and i like i say i've been on a quite of a journey going from being a pot smoking a rock and roller and skateboarder to being through all these churches and now you know stepping into ministry and all of that uh, i've seen a lot to, to put it mildly um and in in many of my experiences i in it seems that some people are not even aware of it that how they are divided internally I, I was recently at a big conference and there was like the ly the lyrics was something like now the king of kings oh your majesty something like that I'm, I'm paraphrasing a bit but nothing about that music would make any sort of majestic um uh, or king like type of you know that type of you seeing as the lord as the king of kings yeah, you you would never see that kind of music if you were to make a movie of what you're singing about, you would never hear that kind of music to go with it. Right, right. I, I think 
Maybe that's the thing here, uh, Ian. We just got to get some film composers into the church for a couple of days for uh, some awareness training, maybe. And 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 they'll say, okay, we're going to remove the, you know, we, we're going to put on your subtitles on the screen. And then we're going to, we're going to create the pictures for somebody who has not read the lyrics. And then we're going to say objectively what the language here actually says, because music theory is kind of a... It's kind of a recipe book, right? To make people feel what you want them to feel. Uh, is one perspective my guitar teacher gave me. Um, so that would be one thing. And I've seen it both in modern churches and in traditional churches that, um, you know, even, you know, especially the need to see the, you know, the the deity of God, the the lordship, the majesty of God. You You need some sort of, elements of I, I think there's some elements in the classical tradition that really works really well to create that sense of you step out of the earthbound and you have that type of transcendent effect which is one way and there's other music where it's wonderful to have a piano and it's jesus is your friend actually like jesus mm. is and the intimacy with the holy spirit you know that's but I, like like you're saying we we need to have God wants to be known for who he is, right? It's like he wants to be known exactly as who he is. So so that's very important that we uh, are we really try to get somebody from the outside if you don't have competent educated musicians, many churches might not have that uh, to just get help to and we might be able to need to create some new music on some known uh traditional music if it's not really good enough at least rearrange a little bit so this podcast is about encouraging new beautiful music because i think the bible speaks about making a new song we should this makes no sense that the the holy spirit is actively working right now in believers to make new music so we should encourage that but we should also encourage new arrangements like like you're talking about here um you want people to explore different styles, right? So maybe an idea here could be to think a little bit crossover. So not go too extreme, but if there's any styles that are really great at expressing one thing, for example, the the, the joy you see in gospel music, for example, would it be possible to combine that with something that is familiar? And then actually you would see that it becomes more true because that is the thing. If, if a song is pretty or something, but there's not something untruthful about what you feel and what your mind says, there's some. I think some of the beauty of that is is actually lacking. You know, if you're talking about the, the three things going together. So, um, another principle I want to throw out here is about God redeems people. He can redeem, but can he also redeem culture? Can he also redeem music? You would have some people who say that style came from a dirty place. We cannot use that. But then <laughs> I came from a dirty place. He used me. So, but if we take something directly out of the world, made for different purposes, and don't do anything about it, maybe it needs some sort of redemption in it. And I think that that's why this classical cross uh, classical crossover idea is a wonderful idea. So. For example, if you then use, let's say you have some of the band elements, if you combine that with something different so that those who grew up in the 60s and saw the leather jackets and sexual revolution and every time they look at an electric guitar, they're thinking about how they lost their uh, teenage daughter into that environment and all the rebellion and they have this bad association you talked about earlier. But if we can redeem it enough so we remove those associations, we can take the good Hold fast to what is good there, and 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 we we because some of those you know for example the groove can give a feeling of you know when we're talking about the spiritual warfare a good groove a steady groove can be great together with an orchestra to make that type of uh, courageous type of feeling that we see a lot of times in the Bible. That's another idea. Um, so, but, but just what is very your quickly, on all of these? I threw a lot well, of things uh, right yeah. there. Yeah, I, I I really liked what you said. I don't have. Um, very many things. I might just elaborate where you said the groove. Uh, a lot of churches that get into the Pentecostal movement or even just the, uh, what should I say? 
just the um the spontaneity of worship hmm. uh that's that a lot of churches that that happens a lot more with churches that do more contemporary music um that isn't that and, and often has gospel music there's a lot more room for improvisation and variation in that more spontaneity in a worship setting and i think that that's that's a natural inclination we see a lot of that in worship in the old testament conversely if that's all you ever feel like god is hmm. then you kind of miss who god can be i think the hymns can be much more consoling i think the chants in some way can give us a sense of awe and timelessness because we have nothing to tap our foot to hmm. and so each style assuming we don't have preconceived notions about it um there's so there's so much that it aesthetically does and we can see that through through how much it enhances films or theater or opera or even just when we turn on uh, uh mu- turn on music we uh, there's a book out there called the aesthetics of music that will explain the the music itself cannot give us the exact words and i think he has credit to that but Conversely, there are certain universal emotions or almost universal emotions we get through meter or the lack thereof. And so we need to consider that while we have very different scales and very different cultures, one thing that's almost unanimous throughout cultures is rhythm and meter or the lack thereof. Hmm. And so aesthetically, I think it's important to keep all of these. It, mm-hmm. it, it does matter. So I just wanted to comment on that. You were talking about the groove and how it feels. And I I totally agree. And I just wanted to elaborate a little bit mm-hmm. on that because all these styles, they're not, it's improper, I think, to try to console someone by a song that's super fast when they need something super slow. It's, mm-hmm. not, unex- it's not disrespectful to say, I need a different kind of music here. There's there's a time for everything, and I might elaborate a little bit beyond the Bible, but I think different kinds of music need to uh, need to be represented in uh, in different cases. And you had let's see, you had mentioned that that one last thing of redemption. Yeah, I think it's always tricky to talk about how music is redeemed because we don't really have a good emphasis on what is uh, Christian versus non-christian music Mm. and in it of the aesthetical style themselves Mm. but i I do think that music can be and certainly has been redeemed and luther did and others did some of the things you mentioned such as they took folk songs or familiar tunes and added christian lyrics to them if they thought that in adding those different lyrics the people could be directed towards god instead of away from him so I do think that the redemption of music can happen and is happening um, to to various extents. But I think the people that are most successful at doing that are the people that understand the aesthetical influence of the music they're using and the the audience that they're doing it for. Mm. So there is a, a skill set there that comes with it. But I certainly think that different d- different kinds of music. Uh, can exist in the Christian realm and should, and all of that can be redeemed. God is not glorified again by the style of what we do, but why are we using that music? Mm, mm. And that's what redeems it, I think. Mm, yeah, that, that's, that's interesting what you're saying there. I think you put it really well. Uh, one of the greatest church musicians I ever known was the organist in the first church that I went to. And I asked him, what you know, what music is is good you know what what music glorifies god and and he's for him he says that it depends where it comes from that that was basically his his answer that uh, you need to have an intentionality of where it where it comes from and where you are directed and that is how you um how you grow in love instead of moving away from love in these things um something i think we should be talking about it seems that there is a need there are many good books, philosophical, theological books about aesthetics, and many are producing more of them. But I think what is lacking is a practical guidance for churches with a little bit musical resources and with maybe more resources to that we can 
get down some principles, biblical principles about holistic worship, um, and then some ideas or support if it's something that is online you know almost like a counseling thing people can come in or we can make resources for people who have achieved this very successfully and then gradually without you know rocking the boat so to speak but either doing some crossover things or uh, like you're saying starting with what the familiar but maybe have another aspect within the worship setting to to have a, a more uh, reflect God and get to know God with with all his attributes and and be more te- teaching the whole counsel of God through the music and and, and have that uh, happening. So I hope that these discussions can also lead to uh, a book and uh, some resources and something we can start to to serve different churches with, so we can we can move in this direction. And I, I think this can have a tremendous impact uh, on the just the the theological understanding of having the right image of God because what usually happens right if a church only looking at Jesus as this type of free loving uh, peaceful guy right you have so much focus on the humanity that that's also reflected in the Christians they're saying yeah we're trying to be Christ-like but they are trying to be Christ-like only in one side of him right Uh, so when Mm -hmm. it's called for something else they become like a walkover or they become uh they don't step out up for for sin or truth or anything like that right because they they have uh um they made their own image of god in their in their own fantasy and some to blame was actually a lack of musical competence uh, in, in their leaders that didn't recognize number one there's a, a, a separation between what the mind is understanding and what the heart is feeling so that's why probably one of those have to give away and i think probably what will happen is that you tune you 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 numb you numb the brain out more than you're able to stop the heart from pumping right uh, so so that is also a very big problem because i think the unifying principle of all christian is that you shall love your god with all your heart mind strength and soul so Christian worship is never without completely without the mind. You can meditate as a Christian and contemplate, but that is an active um, depth reflection or focus on God and and His truth, right? So, uh, yeah, you mentioned earlier that it it was an important point in the Reformation that everybody got involved in, in the church, and and I think sometimes the church take that to an extreme where they never ever have an instrumental piece for example or they never ever have a soloist singing and doing something excellent because they would call that a show like a theatrics i i heard you know but isn't it true that if we have the right education around this that when something beautiful like that is being played that people can actively meditate on that truth and they are actually active they're not passive but they need some guidance to understand that if they come from a, a church where there's just complete series of word and never a gap to to contemplate what's your thought on that yes there's no perfect solution to this but it's something i've thought about a lot in the eastern orthodox church all the hymns are sung just by the choir but almost the entire liturgy is an antiphony between the priests and the audience and one thing you one good thing you get there is they've got so much scripture so many traditional christian creeds and statements and memorized um you you get the and then you have them assenting to that if they're willing to say it it's a lot harder for me to say something i don't believe so if you have to say the the name of the trinity you have to say jesus is lord say these things during uh during the service you're much more likely to, at least initially, have to assent to that. Um, the problem is it can be too much, become too rote, but that seems to be an issue with no matter what walk of life someone is in. The The nice thing about sermons and more of the low church is it gives a lot of time for education, leaves a lot of time to answer things that might come up in the moment, gives a lot of time for contemplation, but the problem is you have some um, people who don't have to assent to a lot of things, in particular, if the worship is what I've seen a lot of, whether it be Anglican, uh, Lutheran, 
Baptist or the like. The worship songs are often songs that, frankly, could be sung as love songs on a on a, a secular radio, and people would be totally fine with it. If those are the only things you assent to, then there's the risk that maybe you're not totally aware as much of what you believe or why you believe it. Hmm. So I think that that awareness that you mention is something that we have to do on our own and pray about because no matter which format we have, we can lose that awareness either through being the rote memorization or by the passivity. Hmm. But I do think that I, I do think I'm personally one that likes the greater involvement because it forces the person to assent to something. And I think that's the reason why, a, a, a little of an extension, why a lot of music ministers seem to be the first person to go when the church is facing some difficulties, because people don't uh, always know this, but uh, often it's the subconscious, again, the subconscious power of music that's convicting them in a way that words cannot express on the, their own or other ways. So I think the I, I think that that's where I would land is mm. participation. I like more participation, but uh, there always has to be a prayer to the Holy Spirit that He would He would keep us as guided because the whole council is often found in in the sermon or in a lot of the liturgy that isn't always found in the hymns themselves. Mm. Well, this has been a wonderful. Very enriching discussion. It was great to get some of these things that at least have been a lot of on my mind. I have a uh, Lord has, has put a real um, uh, like a, a privilege. It's a burden and a privilege because I, I I pray about this and I'm saddened about. For many years, I've been quite saddened about uh, seeing what we are missing out on when it comes to worship music. Um, in in all different types of ways and i don't have all the answers but i just know as a musician who has been speaking about many musicians about this has been specifically asking the typical churchgoer about their experiences and just starting to wake up a little bit that there is such amazing potential right now uh and it wouldn't take that much more education or that much more money to to really um, be more biblical about this and to really have a uh, really revive uh, the worship in a very beautiful way, and I, I think seeing that can also make it easier for different types of people who comes into the church because you'll have different ways that they can get connected and have familiarity, and also there will be more ways where churches can gain understanding of. The different strengths and weaknesses different churches have so there's so much potential here and i want to thank you so much for your very easy to understand but also uh, <laughs> intellectually rich uh, and uh, well-studied answers i'm usually a very practical guy but you said very uh, like you had deep knowledge and i was able to grasp every bit of it and that is not many who are able to do with with my uh my mind so thank you so much for that ian uh, i wanted to end the uh um, the conversation here with just how can people find more about you what services do you give uh you know your music things like that how, how can they get engaged with you yes i have a website ianguthriecomposer.com they can also look up my name on Facebook or the like. I have a page there. If they want, mostly what I do is I teach at Calvary University. That I I, I compose works for musicians um, and ensembles, and those recordings are usually placed on my website or on YouTube. So uh, you look up my name. You just look for. Uh, you look for maybe the most classical Ian Guthrie because there are several Ian Guthries. But yeah, ianguthriecomposer.com is probably the most central space to start because there you'll find links to all the social social media. Wonderful. Clear and direct. I like it. Thank you so much for taking uh, the time and for all our listeners. Um, thank, can you. Mention thank you too. Yes, you're very, very welcome. Um, we I also have a podcast called The Beauty and the Faith, where we're going a bit broader about the, uh, um, the trying to really to deal with 
the the Western world becoming more ugly. Many people are struggling with depression and and are in a dark place. And what what we ask about is then uh, would uh, bringing in more beauty actually being able to lead more people, uh, some people to faith? Would it help us to be be more uh, uh, you know better stewards of our environments? Would could it lead to more moral character if if we are able to as a church to engage with culture and to contribute with beauty as have been some of their the great legacy of the church throughout history? So uh, and uh, and, a, and a, an important point where even the, many. Uh, very, they are very close to the church. Actually, at least respect us in that way. So let us not use that important bridge to to build relationships and start conversations. So that is beauty and the faith on, on YouTube and podcast directories. Uh, and also, uh, we just started this podcast here now. But uh, uh, follow us on on Instagram. I'll be posting highlights there and uh, uh, and special updates. So uh, and please engage if you. If we said anything now that's not true, then I, I would love to see it in the comment field on, on YouTube or on Instagram. Let us know so we can come together here now and to to solve this within our generation. Like, let us now come together and start to do something about this because we have a lot of potential. So thank you, everybody, and have a beautiful day.